Welcome to the Backyard Bouquet Podcast, where stories bloom from local flower fields and home gardens. I'm your host, Jennifer Galizia of The Flowering Farmhouse. I'm a backyard gardener turned flower farmer located in Hood River, Oregon. Join us for heartfelt journeys shared by flower farmers and backyard gardeners. Each episode is like a vibrant garden, cultivating wisdom and joy through flowers. From growing your own backyard garden to supporting your local flower farmer, the Backyard Bouquet is your fertile ground for heartwarming tales and expert cut flower growing advice. All right, flower friends, grab your gardening gloves, garden snips, or your favorite vase because it's time to let your backyard bloom. Today's guest on the podcast is Dee Hall from Mermaid City Flowers in Norfolk, Virginia. Dee is a flower farmer who practices sustainable and regenerative growing on a micro flower farm with a special interest in growing native perennials. She is also the founder of Black Flower Farmers and Tidewater Flower Collective. I'm so excited to learn more about Dee and her flower farm today. Please join me in welcoming Dee to the Backyard Bouquet podcast. Good morning, Dee. Thanks for joining us today. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. I'm happy to be here. I'm so happy that you are here with us today. Thank you so much for carving some time to chat with us on the podcast. And I know that my listeners and myself included are so excited to learn more about you. So if you don't mind, would you give us a brief background on who you are and what you do in the floral industry? I'm Dee Hall. I run Mermaid City Flowers, as you said. It's an urban cut flower farm in Norfolk, Virginia. So I have the flower farm and I do floral design. And it's a little unusual, my model. I don't grow in one large traditional growing space. I grow in smaller lots throughout the city, totaling about an acre, but I am scaling back a a little this season to focus on more design work and, and less growing. Coming out of that, I also started a local growers collective. And then I started a second collective, because why not when we're, we're doing things? And both are informal. I know collective can have different meanings to you know different people. Second collective, Black Flower Farmers, that's a group of international, an international group of growers around the world that meet for fellowship, commune, help each other learn, you know, everything you would think of when you have like kind of a a cool eclectic group of people who are all interested in the same thing or do the same thing professionally. You sound like a very busy lady. And (laughs) before we started recording, you shared with me that you're also a mom of four children. Is that correct? Yeah, I am. So, you know, just occasionally I I have some, a couple of things to do. (laughs) We're going to touch on all of that today. I'm so excited. So let's start What growing zone are you located in? As of now, the new USDA uh, zoning, I am now in zone 8B, which, I mean, I've kind of known for a while based on when stuff, we just had, unusual for us, we had a pretty hard freeze last week, but there were uh, bachelor's buttons already starting to pop up and ranunculus and anemones that had, you know, greened out that had overwintered, so... I keep saying that pretty soon we're here, we're going to be having flowers, you know, besides hellebores in, in January, like Valentine's Day used to be like, oh, wow, we're getting stuff by Valentine's Day. But it keeps, you know, inching closer towards January. Wow. Okay. So for those listening that are not familiar, when I asked about your growing zone, the USDA releases a hardiness map that tells us our growing zone and what that is is it tells us when our last average frost date is. And that's an important aspect if you are growing a flower farm or a garden because you want to know when you're putting out your tender annuals and perennials that it's past that last frost date. So what's interesting... Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So what's interesting is we're both now a zone 8B. Wow. I was previously a 7B. Oh, wow. I'm buried in frost as, or not frost, yeah. I'm buried in snow as we're talking. And I have, my last frost date is May 
first. When is oh, your wow. last frost date? I guess now, I think for 8B, it's probably like April 1st, but the weather is so, like I said last week, we had a hard freeze and then today it's 70 degrees, the highest 70 degrees today. Oh, I'm envious. <laughs> I, I know, but it's largely variable and it can make it tricky for when to put out plants. Like I have plugs that I've, they're overdue for going for going out. But we had that hard freeze, so I had to bring them, you know, bring them in where it was warmer last week. And I will probably plant them out. I have to check the forecast and see if it looks like it's going to be reasonable over the next week. That way I can, you know, transition them and, and get them in the ground safely. So in your introduction, you mentioned that you grow on several plots that total about an acre. Can you please share with us, how did you get your start in flower farming? And did you start immediately with these plots of land or take us back to the beginning? So, so um, I, I was looking for flowers and couldn't find flowers in bulk, locally grown flowers in bulk. Um, and I'd always been a gardener myself. I had some space. My house is on about a quarter of an acre and there were some diseased trees that were removed. And it offered up some space there. It was grass. There was nothing else there. And I had already had a small plot. And I decided, well, I can't find what I'm looking for. Why not me? I'll be the one. You know, I can grow flowers. Sure, I can take them to market. And I did just that. So my lot was forward facing. So I got lots of opportunities. I lived in a big garden neighborhood. So I got lots of opportunities to talk to people about plants and gardening. And people would see me, you know, ask what I'm doing, kind of talk about it. And so one neighbor offered, you know, hey, I have space. I love plants, but I don't really know what I'm doing. I've built these raised beds. I've got drip tape, you know, I've got this and that, but I can't really grow anything. Would you like to use the space? And I said, you know, sure. It was directly across the street. Didn't have to do anything. Didn't have to add anything. He already had a rain barrel set up to the drip tape with a pump system and all that. I mean, I kind of got really lucky out of the gate. And from then, different people came to me in different ways. A neighbor saw, another neighbor saw something on PBS about offering up unused spaces in your home, just, you know, grass, lawn, to people to be able to grow something. And she posted that in our Facebook group, and I got in contact. And so... Then I, you know, acquired space there. And eventually I put out a call, like a soft call on just on Instagram saying, hey, I'm looking for a growing space. If you know anybody that has any that fits this description, let me know. And so it's kind of spiraled from there. So now I have space and I also kind of have a, I have reserve plots that I haven't actively used yet, but are available should I want or need to expand. And I really like my somewhat unusual model as we you said you know i'm really into sustainability is very important and what could be more sustainable than literally having flowers growing in the neighborhood where people can see me walking up and down the street with my giant gorilla cart full of you know tools and seedlings and whatever else and yeah so that's that's how i got started i love that so You used up your space and then you got creative and asked neighbors and were offered space. Going back just a little bit, you said something that I really love that has been kind of a driving force for me with my flower farm too. You said, you thought to yourself, why not me? That is one of my favorite sayings. Why not me? Yeah. There's so much room for all of us in the flower industry, and the flower industry is growing by leaps and bounds still. I, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I remember hearing statistics that said that it, there's substantial growth that's going to happen in the next few years. So it's the perfect time if someone's listening and thinking, maybe I should start a flower farm or start a flower garden. For I sure. I love that. Yeah. And I know I mean, uh, like I said, I run a a local growers collective and there are other people who grow in my city in a similar, you know, fashion being urban. We kind of have to make the best of the space that we've got available. 
Um, and I have found gardeners and flower farmers to be among the most helpful people, one of the best communities, and that we all want to see each other do well and flourish. And I mean, it's been nothing but fantastic for me. And I think a lot of people have had the same experience. It can be very solitary. So one thing I love about creating these communities is having a space to say, hey, like, is this happening in your name? Did you guys get a hail too? Or what's happening? Or even if you're commiserating in the summer about, you know, tarnished bugs or I've gotten the dahlias. I hate it. I'm over it. I'm ready to give up this season or whatever. It's nice to have that community with other people who kind of have adopted that why not me attitude there. I mean, we're in a very tiny group, flower farmers, right? Among like farming at large. And uh, I'm glad it's it's gaining popularity and more and more people are interested. Absolutely. I love what you said. We are a small community of growers that are around the country. And it is so helpful to be able to reach out and ask questions because so much of it is learning as we go. Every year I learn more and more. And when we can share our knowledge, it benefits everyone. If one person learns how to take care of a pest in the garden without using pesticides and can share that with another, I call that a huge win. So I love that. Thank you. Going back to your gardens first, I want to touch on the collectives, but I'm very curious to know more about your setup because there's so many people listening who would love to have a flower farm or a flower garden, but lack space. How many lots are you growing on right now? I'm growing on, I think, five lots actively, and I intentionally kept the distance short. So I recently moved, but All of the plots I had were, in most cases, five minutes or less from my house, definitely no longer than 10 minutes from my house, because I knew that I didn't want to spend lots of time driving back and forth. You know, there are some spaces where I can't keep tools and I didn't want to think, oh, I forgot, you know, this shovel and I need to go back and get it or, you know, I need, I forgot my seaweed fertilizer or whatever it is and have to like go back and forth constantly. So I wanted to make sure I had an opportunity to just be close by. And the biggest boon that I found actually is just being an active community member. Lots of the the spaces I've acquired have been by word of mouth. You know, when I looked on Instagram, when I asked on Instagram, you know, I had people that said, well, I'm not there or I don't have any space, but I shared this with somebody I know and just other people helping to make those connections. So use those connections that you have. And I think it's, for me, luckily it's grown very organically. You know, I love to talk to people. I love to talk to people about plants. And like I said, plant people are some of the best people. And I've, you know, it, kind of just capitalized on on that, that people have been willing and able to have space that they're, I mean, it's grass, they're not doing anything, right? They would just have to cut it if, if there wasn't any, if, if I wasn't using it. And now they get to see flowers. I have conversations with people. I've made friends with the neighbors. You know, I bring plants. It's just part of a larger attitude that is important to me about cultivating not just flowers, but cultivating community as well. Mm. Flowers really have a way of bringing people together. For sure. Yeah, they can evoke memory. I mean, everybody knows when you're at farmer's market, somebody comes up to you, are those sweet peas? My grandmother used to grow these or what's that smell? It's it's so familiar to me. They definitely can be evocative. And so many people have memories attached, many of us, to different flowers. Absolutely. Do you have a favorite memory with flowers? I mean, I was raised at my grandmother's knee in her garden. One of my most prominent memories is she actually had this night blooming cactus. It was kind of like a rare event. And she would always get her friend who was a photographer to come out and photograph her night blooming cactus. She was actually also a lay florist with a rather large garden. My family is from St. Lucia in the Caribbean. So they bought this house that was had been a library. 
My grandparents converted the library on this very sandy lot near the beach. She had all this soil trucked in and created this garden that still exists where she had, you know, one of my favorite pictures of me is I'm holding a zinnia in her garden and she had orchids and ferns and roses and all sorts of things. And I would see her making arrangements, old school, you know, and people coming to pick them up for weddings or other events, etc. So I actually got to see, unbeknownst to me, like a lay farmer florist at work, right? And never thought that this would end up being my path with the irony of, of having that experience. Yeah, having so many memories attached to that and then growing up in New York across the street from the Brooklyn Botanic Garden where I was a children's garden member and spent quite a lot of time in my childhood and also doing uh, work in community gardens there growing up. So none of this, I guess, is kind of unfamiliar to me. I just never thought, oh, this is going to end up being a career path, all this, you know, people say, how do you get your knowledge? Well, I mean, I literally kind of grew up in and around it and, and, you know, it was unexpected, but here I am and I love it. That's amazing. It's kind of just in your blood. Yeah. That's, that's a great story. What a special childhood. Um, and there's something that you can do that your grandmother once did as well. Yeah, it's cool. I just had some pictures pop up yesterday of of arrangements of hers. So that's cool to to see too, like having photos of her work too. Still, she passed on a couple of years ago, but that's really Mm, cool to see. Memories when they pop back up like that are some of the best. So Yes. Yeah. I love that you can carry a part of her with you in your gardens. So tell me, what are you growing in your gardens now? So right now, um, I'm, a li- I'm a little behind, but because we're in zone 8B, I tell people I normally don't plant my tulips out till January. I will store them in cold storage, and then I pop them in the ground in January because we usually don't have hard freezes. The ground remains soft. I put them in, and then I start getting blooms, you know, mid to late February. There's also the, the standard spring stuff. I have anemones. I have ranunculus i've got you know queen anne's lace and its its variants or leia you know docus lisianthus that i hope won't bloom short because i really should have put them in this this fall i've got snapdragons i've got bachelor's buttons i've got a host of different things all kind of like the typical you know flower farmer 101 that you think of as as starting you know at the beginning of your season. And I tell people I'm kind of lucky because I have a little bit of a cheat sheet in that Lisa Mason Ziegler lives like 30 minutes from me. So (laughs) yeah. And so I'm like, whenever, whenever Lisa is starting something, if you live here, that means you can do it too. Like literally we have an expert in our backyard and that is a great tool. You know, she provides lots of information to, you know, flower farmers and, and backyard gardeners alike. And I'm like, well, there you go. Utilize that. If she's doing it, you can, you live here, you can do it at about, at about the same time, you know? Absolutely. That's such a good point. Going back to earlier when we talked about community and sharing our knowledge, if anyone listening is newer to growing flowers and kind of unsure of when you should be starting certain flowers, one of the best ways to know is to find other growers in your area, watch what they're doing on social media or reach out to them or see if there's a collective or a co-op or a Facebook group or something that you can get connected with. Because if they're planting right now, it's probably a good time to be planting. For example, it's, I love hearing how you're saying you're starting your tulips now, where I have to start mine in November so that the roots can establish before it freezes because we do get the hard freeze. So someone watching me might be getting misinformation if they're in a very different growing environment than what you are growing in. So it's so great to connect with people that are in our same growing environments. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Do you have a favorite flower to grow? to grow everybody everybody hates all flower farmers hate these from the perspective of cutting them but bachelor's buttons i absolutely love just the color is like nothing else the traditional cornflower blue it was 
one of the flowers that I would get asked about most that people would literally stop their cars and get out and say, hey, is that cornflower? My grandmother used to go that, grow that. And I, I love it. It's just so impactful and vibrant. And we don't have lots of things in that. I mean, of course, it comes in a variety of colors, but I'm thinking about like the traditional blue, bright blue bachelor's button, um, which we actually have a native variety of, which is, is pretty cool too. But yeah, that's one of, that's my favorite to grow. My favorite flowers are ranunculus. I love that ranunculus can look like everything from a rose to, you know, a poppy or an anemone, depending on, you know, the cultivar. Um, I think that's such mm -hmm. a cool feature. I love a flower that can kind of double or triple as other things. And sometimes I even have to do a double take. I'm like, wait, did I? Did I plant poppies here? No, these are just like the single petal ranunks, you know? So I, I love, I absolutely love those. They were always my favorite flower, even before I grew them. And now growing them here where they can perennialize, which is fantastic. That's amazing. I just, I love having a sea of, of ranunks in the spring. Plus my birthday's in April, so it's around the same time. So I think of those as being like the flower that, you know, I see you around my birthday or for my birthday. They bloom just for you. Yeah. So you perennialize your ranunculus. You don't dig them or start fresh each year. It depends. I try to dig them, but I often miss, I don't get them all up. And so ones that I get up, I will, I'll just put them, I don't do much. Like I don't shake the dirt off or anything. I kind of just toss them in a bucket or a pot in a shed. Um, and then in October or November, I like to pre-sprout mine, generally speaking. So I wake them up. I just do, I know there are different people uh, methods that people use, uh, like to use to rehydrate corms. I like to do, you know, the, the bucket with the, um, the, fish, the fish tank filter. So you've got yes. a little... Uh, you know, bubble action going and I'll let that sit for a couple hours. And then I just put them in trays of damp soil and I leave them in my shed, make sure they don't get dried out. And then when I see them starting to green out, I know what I've got. So that's one reason I like to remove them from, dig them up from seasons prior is to, you know, be able to control the rates especially since I'm small space growing of not taking up space with things that are not not in good condition not in good quality and will not survive another season you know I don't really have the space for things that are not going to come up or flourish you have to be very selective and picky yes. when you're growing on a small space yes for sure I'm experimenting this year by accident. Uh, I normally dig up my ranunculus and start fresh and I'll save some of them, but I usually get new ones, new corms each year. But we're currently in the process of having to relocate part of our fields. We have two different fields and one of them, we have to be relocated by the end of February of 2024, Ooh. which is for those listening as this is airing, that's a month from now. So yeah. we're less than a month from now. So we're under the gun to get it all finished. But I didn't have time to start new ranunculus this year. I had bought a bunch and I ended up selling them all off. And I thought, well, I'm not going to have ranunculus this year. And then I walked out into our other field that we still have. And I have two 60-foot rows of ranunculus that I had left untouched. I never got around to them this last year. And they're all growing. And some of them were even yeah, sending up flowers. Great. I think the flowers might be gone. We right now are sitting under a bunch of snow, but I think yeah. the plants will still be yeah, there. Yeah, the plants will probably be, you know, and I noticed I have a new plot that I added last year. I'm like, oh, wow, this is, you know, this is great. Ranunculus are doing well. New problem. It's pests eating. The, they're early in the season. And so I don't know if it's squirrels or what, but there's early green in this it, at this time of year when, you know, food sources are scarce they're seeing that green and they're going for it. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, here's a new problem I'm going to have to figure out how to deal with. So I last year planted alliums in between every 10 uh -huh. feet. That's a good, that's a good, yeah. I have a ton of alliums. So I'm lucky enough that one of the people that I grew up with who was like a second mother to me, 
in New York is, was always a big time gardener. Still, she works with a nonprofit, America the Beautiful. And at the end of different big box stores, gardening seasons, they give her all their bulbs, thousands and thousands, and she ships them out to different organizations and people throughout the country, including me. So she just called me the other day and she sent me a box of a thousand alliums that's on the oh way. Oh my goodness. That's yeah. a ton. Yeah. So I'm going to experiment with the same thing this year, seeing if that's a deterrent, um, you know, cause onion family and they don't like that smell or taste generally. So we'll see how that goes. I had very low pest pressure on my ranunculus last year and I'm attributing it to that. We'll see okay. if yeah. that if that is the well, actual yeah. case or not. I found um, because I didn't do anything with the alliums other than putting them there for pest um, reducing pest pressure. Mm-hmm. They dried on the stems beautifully, mm-hmm. and yeah. I have the dried allium stems in my house now as decoration since we're in the They're middle beautiful. of winter. Yeah, there's another. Yeah, there's another use for them, right? Because they look great dried. So anybody that has dried florals or uses dry florals in their in their off season so to speak yeah that's that's a great one for it so you grow lots of different types of flowers what do you do with the flowers that you grow so i have a, a website where i you know people can go in and order what florists call dailies i also do corporate events i do a small number of weddings i'm a preferred vendor for a couple of different venues here locally. I have subscriptions as well. And this year I'm going back to market. I've been, I haven't done market um, in a couple years, but I got asked to come back to a market this year and it's across the street from my studio, literally. So I will just be able to prep and then take things across the street. So it was kind of like, well, this is a no brainer to come wow. back. When you say market, are you talking about a farmer's market? Farmer's or a market, okay. yes, a farmer's market, yeah. That's so, so convenient. Yes, absolutely, because I think for a lot of us, farmer's market can be a slog, you know, the getting up, the prep, you know, all the things that come that go into getting to the actual market. But with it being there, I was like, yeah, let, yeah let's do it. Let's see how, how it goes this year. Oh, that's fabulous. So is it a summer market or is how long does your market go? It goes, it's actually six months. It goes from March to October, which is a fairly okay. long uh, market season, but it's every other Friday. So it's not a weekly market, which I'm not equipped to handle for various reasons, including, you know, my family, et cetera, balancing my subscriptions, my other work, I want to make sure, and I'm still a one-woman operation, even though I do think I am going to get an assistant that can um, be the one who's at the farmer's market at the stall. Yeah, I, that model works kind of better for me, and it's in a really walkable area, walkable neighborhood, and so generally does well. That sounds amazing. Sounds like a great opportunity. And how neat that it's every other week from a vendor yeah. perspective, because farmer's markets, like you just said, are so time consuming. That's yes. something that's kept me from getting more actively involved in a farmer's market is I work all week in the field and ours are on a Saturday. And so it's like, I want yeah. time with my family. So yeah. it's that balance. Yeah. It's, it's exhausting too, because after you do market the day after you just have that called like the market hangover. You just are not really up for doing very much. And this one is on a Friday evenings, which is kind of an unusual time, but also not the, the worst time either because people are leaving work. They're kind of hanging out. There's restaurants in the area, etc. So there's, yeah, the foot traffic from all, all of that is pretty good. They have a, you know, live band, they have music playing and that sort of thing. So do you make bouquets or do you have standalone stems? What, how do you set up your farmer's market? I make bouquets. I I am one of those people who's like, the. St- I know people who the standalone stems work great for them. But I found in times of, you know, when I've offered like a, a bouquet bar, so to speak, that people, they want guidance anyway. They want help. Mm-hmm. They don't know what to do. They get nervous. They're picking flowers up, putting them down, etc. And so I found it easier to have bouquets in the past. But since I'm going to have this long market season that I haven't had in a couple of years, 
it may be a good time to experiment and do a combination um, of things and see what works well. I actually filled in for a friend who was doing the market there. And after I did the market, I said, you know, well, how much were you charging for your bouquets? And she said, I was charging this much. And I'm like, well, I charged more and they sold. So just so you know, the market can hold that amount because again, I want all of us to be able to, to do well and to be able to be financially successful and keep our businesses afloat and keep going. Absolutely. That's such a great point because a lot of times people associate going to a farmer's market and finding cheaper flowers, but we have to make sure that we're pricing our bouquets so that we are paying ourselves for our time and our supplies and our materials. There's a lot that goes into, you know, the creation of, you know, when people, oh, it's just wildflowers or it's just a market bouquet. Well, we have, you know, picked out those seeds, tended them for months at a time, you know, indoors and then or in greenhouses and planting them out, harvesting them, you know, conditioning, getting them to market, you know, from start to finish, growers definitely deserve to be compensated for all of all of that work, which is a lot. Absolutely. That's such a great point. Thank you for mentioning that. And earlier in our conversation, you mentioned you are part of a couple collectives. The one that I wanted to touch on first is the, is it the Tidewater Flower Collective that is your local community one? Yes. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? So when I first started growing, I, there were almost no growers in the area. I knew one person was a friend of mine who had a flower farm and that was it. Um, But I was on Instagram and, you know, kind of put hashtags together so I could try to find people who were local flower farmers. And eventually the algorithm kept saying, you know, suggesting, hey, you may want to, you know, friend this person or follow this person. And I did. And I started to say, well, hey, I'm putting together a little group of us just so we can know who's in the area, kind of chit chat and, and see what happens. And so it grew from there. And I think there are about 30 of us now, maybe, um, within maybe a a, a two hour radius in, in different directions. And so that's fantastic. We all have different models. Some people have, you know, pick your own. Some people sell wholesale only. Some people do, um, farmer's market. Some people have, uh, you know, farm stands, and there are people like me, you know, who are farmer florists and, you know, some people who don't do design work at all. There's just kind of a large variety of, of growers and, and, and models, which is, is really cool to see too. So how does the collective work? Do you meet for educational purposes? Do people gather to sell their flowers? Can you elaborate on that for so us, please? We, ha- we have an Instagram group where we kind of chit chat. There are a couple of growers who will regularly um, organize buying supplies, whether it's seeds or plugs, etc. And then we have a chance to, especially for, you know, growers who are not growing on large scales to buy wholesale or buy in bulk and get those reduced rates that we might not be able to manage on our own for people doing that. We also, we haven't had a get together for a bit, but we were trying to get together quarterly. I think we're going to try to do, I want to say February, but Valentine's Day is kind of hairy. Get together to hang out. We often freelance for one another or even buy from one another. If somebody's looking for something specific for a client and they don't have it, you know, they know they can from get it fr- uh, from that person. We give away lots of plants to one another. Hey guys, guess what? The Eryngium took over <laughs> my field, so come and get it or whatever it is. We did try to establish a more for- a formal co-op to get together and do wholesale to florists. And I helped in the creation of that originally, but then I had to step back. I had too many obligations between my own work, family, etc. And so that co-op is not active, 
But, you know, I do have hopes for the future that we'll be able to form another wholesale collective eventually and help the, the public learn more about locally grown flowers as part of the, you know, buy local, shop local movement. I think that's fantastic. I am in the Columbia River Gorge, and we don't have a formal collective here, but we have a group. We mostly communicate through Instagram chat, and then we try and meet up throughout the year. But one thing that I really love is that we will, for those that are smaller growers, we'll go in on orders. So if someone's ordering a wholesale order and can't meet that minimum, they'll often reach out to the group and say, hey, I want to order... Lizianthus from right. Farmer Bailey's. Yeah, the same thing, yeah. Which is awesome. And then yeah. the other thing that we do is, like you mentioned, the buying from each other. Mm-hmm. Someone, like for me, I'm niching down this year and I'm really focusing on my dahlias and I'm going to be growing less of everything else. But I know that some of the other growers, for example, Paul Matalucci was on one of my earlier podcasts. Um, he has a four-acre farm here in Hood River. And he often grows things that I don't grow. So we've been able to help each other out and buy from each other instead of having to go to the wholesale market in Portland. Mm-hmm. I can call up a local grower and say, hey, I'd love to support your business. That right. way we keep our money in the community and also support one another because when we build each other up, we all are elevated. And I think that's For something sure. really special. For sure. I'm getting, yeah, I'm getting married in June and I actually- Oh, congratulations. Thank you. I actually texted two growers today because obviously I'm going to do the wedding flowers, but I know the day of, right? I'm not going to be on the ground doing that. So I actually reached out to two growers today um, that I like and have worked with and collaborated with in the past. Like, hey, guys, because when I told them I got engaged, they were like, let us know what we can do. We're here for you. And I'm like, I think I'm going to need your help. So I'm, I'm, I'm calling this in, but I love that. And I love, love having that. I'm like, don't feel obligated, but you know, everybody wants to try to help one another because it comes back. I love that. I love being able to have those, you know, peers who are also friends who want to see each other do well. And I never feel like I'm in competition with people. We all have our our own clientele, we all have our kind of own little slots that we fit into. And yeah, it's, it's fantastic to have that. Well, that's amazing. Well, okay, so we have to talk about you getting married. Yeah. So you're getting married in June. And you just yes. said you're doing your flowers, but not the day of actual part is that yeah. so are you well, growing I'm, your yes. flowers? I'm gonna grow them. And I'm gonna prep the day before. But I think for the actual installations, I'm going to lean on other florists, other farmer florists to help me get through the installation because I don't, I don't think that's, you know, the kind of stress that I want to be dealing with on the day of, you know, is this art going to stay in place or, or whatever it is. But yeah, I absolutely am growing my own flowers. And when I told my group, I was like, Hey, getting married. These are the colors I'm looking for. So just so you know, if anybody's going to have whatever you're going to have at June, I would love to include and incorporate, you know, all the locally grown, only locally grown flowers. And one of the reasons we picked June was, I mean, for me, that's like a prime flower month. Like there's a grower here that has a peony farm. So I know I can probably ask her to dry store because June Mm-hmm. It's like on the edge of our peony, you know, normally here, like Mother's Day is really big for, for peonies and they kind of start trickling off. Um, but I can ask for dry stories so I can get peonies or I can get whatever it is that other people specialize in that I might not grow that I'd like to have. And so that was how people are like, oh, how do you, how do you decide? Well, I grow flowers. So the flowers <laughs> made the decision <laughs> for me. I love it. Yeah. Um, you mentioned you have some colors picked out. What colors are you using in flowers for your wedding? It's funny because one of the colors is peach. And I just have to point out that I picked peach fuzz before I knew it was going to be the Pantone color of the year. So I thought that was kind of funny that it ended up being a, a, a big color. So kind of peaches to corals. So like a range of oranges and blues and creams and greens, stuff that 
is kind of spring and neutral, but can be very pastel, but also very vibrant, kind of the range. Um, And I think that'll be a fun combination. That sounds absolutely beautiful. And, you know, I feel like those colors have already started kind of trending prior to Pantone announcing the peach fuzz. Yeah. And I feel like I'm noticing them more now. I don't know if it's because I've chosen them or if, you know, I was swayed by the trends without realizing it, but I thought that that's too funny. So I get a lot of emails on a regular basis and people reaching out to me on Instagram and they will say, I'm growing flowers for my wedding. I'm growing flowers for my friend's wedding, someone's wedding they need flowers for. And I think a lot of people still think that they need to go and order a bunch wholesale when I love that you just said you're focusing on everything local. Can you talk about what local flowers you're going to be including in your summer wedding bouquet and arrangements? Because I think that will be super helpful for people listening that are thinking, well, what flowers can I grow for a wedding? Oh, absolutely. So here... At that time of year, we have just about everything. So like I said, we'll have peonies. Um, we will have bachelor's buttons that I love. I will have Orlea, Bupleurum for foliage will still be growing. All the various echinaceas that look fantastic will be going. Might have dianthus. It d- depends. I didn't do well with dianthus last year and normally that. You know, we have it for Mother's Day, but I'm actually thinking for myself, I might grow some in an area that's more shaded to kind of slow their growth, slow their progress, which that's another tip, guys. If there are things that do well in a range of growing conditions and you want to try to control those conditions, you know, maybe take them out of full sun, put them into partial shade and that'll slow, slow their progress. So I'm going to use that as a technique. What else? Roses. Prime time here for roses as well. I'm actually getting ready to order a bunch of of roses that I'm going to utilize. All the aromatics, you know, all the various basils, rosemary, lavender, all the things that that we think of, nigella, just, 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 just a host of things. There's so many, so many things. And maybe dahlias, you know, um, I have some dahlias that are, you know, they, they perennialize here too. And I didn't dig some, but I think some of the ones I didn't dig are later varieties. So I was actually just the other day, even though I'm like, no more dahlias, I'm not going to buy any more tubers. Looking to kind of check out early varieties, you know, in the colors that I'm interested in to maybe get some farmers are offering uh, the option to ship whenever you like. So, you know, getting early shipping, seeing if I can, you know, get those flowers or get those plants um, into production and to start producing early and maybe taking cuttings, etc. in the hopes of being able to have flowers uh, by June. But it's, you know, it's iffy. Well, at least you'll have the peonies and the ranunculus. And I just saw that, I think it's 1-800-Flowers. I saw it on Martha Stewart that peonies are the flower of the year. So your wedding's perfect oh, wow. timing for that. Yes. Oh, wow, look at that. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love peonies. I especially love that you can get American-grown peonies. Like I said, you know, here, May is the big prime time, and then later there's June in other places in the country. But then Alaska has peonies, so you can have American-grown peonies from Alaska, you know, in July and August, and that's pretty cool too. Yes. Yeah. There's so many flowers that are now available in the U.S. Yes, yeah, yeah. So those that are listening that are getting married or part of a wedding, make sure you are choosing local or asking what is locally available at the time of year you're getting married. For sure. And there are lots of, yeah, there are lots of options, including give a shout out to the ASCFG, our yes. specialty cut flower uh growers organization that maintains a website that helps people to find, you know, local growers and also florists who utilize local flowers. Yes, that's great advice. Thank you. So you have another collective or group that you founded fairly recently. Is that correct? In 2021, I think. Yeah. 
So yeah, Black Flower Farmers. Can you tell us about Black Flower Farmers? So like I mentioned earlier, flower farming is uh, already a small group um, within a, you know, a small fish in a large pond. And there are very few black flower farmers. And so I was looking to be able to connect with and talk to people who may have different concerns or maybe facing different issues than the community at large. And so same thing, like I knew some people already existed. I remember when the group first started, I had Aisha of Patagonia Flower Farms, who at the time was in um, Arizona, I believe, and has now moved to Georgia. And she added, she asked if Mima Davis of Urban Buds could join the group. And I was like, yeah, of course. And we added her and she was like, I can't believe this group existed and you didn't guys didn't add me. And I was like, but you're like a celebrity. You're like a big <laughs> she time. She is. Yeah. I'm like, you're like a big time, big deal. Like, I didn't think you'd want to like, you know, but like we started that during, um, during COVID. And so like we had a Zoom call and we all talked for an hour. And actually recently in St. Louis um, at the ASCFG conference last fall, there were 10 of us at the conference, which was the largest number of black flower farmers that had ever attended. And it was really fantastic to get to meet people in person, especially being in St. Louis. Mima's farm was the host farm, Urban Buds. Um, oh, no I, way. Stay, I stayed on the farm, which was a pretty cool, a different, an urban setup too, different to mine, but pretty incredible, um, as you can imagine. And it's been incredible to have you know people like her who have court backgrounds who have you know ag backgrounds worked for county extension etc there's entomologists in the group you know and there's farmers not just across the country but across the world there are people in canada and in the uk and in south africa um and so it's really neat to be able to have that and to share with each other about grants and opportunities and, you know, ways to learn. I am actually in the process of this year with my all my spare time formalizing the group and creating a nonprofit because I get people who reach out to me and I know the other growers do too. Other black women and women who are like, this is so cool. This is something I would love to do, but I don't know how to get started or I don't have the funding or whatever it is. And I would like to create opportunities for people to be able to to join us and to, you know, get where they'd like to be um, with their own endeavors. I love that. I think it's so awesome that you have created it. Do you call it a group, an organization, a collective? Um, I call it a, a collective, but we'll see what it, it kind of it's just like flowers. Everything kind of changes and grows. And I'm trying not to be too attached to, you know the naming of things, it may change. I mean, it may change with time as the group grows. We'll see, but it's it's really cool. And I started fundraising last month towards those efforts. You know, I don't know what I'm going to need exactly towards the creation of the nonprofit. I know what I have to do with the state, you know, getting a board, et cetera. But we have been, we've had some very generous donors who are helping us to get started in, in moving towards that. And I would also like to, I'm hoping for 2025 to create a retreat for us um, before the growing season or during like low season, of course, where more of us can meet, spend time, commune and relax. And of course we'll talk shop, but I would like for it to just be a time for, for fellowship. I love that. And you said this is internationally based, correct? You have members from around the world? Yes. yes. That's amazing. And about how many members do you currently have? I think we have 35 members. I'm not good at keeping track, but we've even recently, like when we were in St. Louis, a set of growers, the Cottons, who run Cotton Picked Farm, they... Um, they went to the Missouri Botanical Garden and met a black rosarian and started talking to him and told him about the group. And so we've added him. I mean, it's it's kind of cool. And I'm really 
excited to see what it may mor- morph into or who it may may include. Because, yeah, it, I mean, it's really incredible what a diverse group it is and how much knowledge there is in the group and that we have people who have been doing it for 30 years, but also people who have been doing it for a year, you know, and they can say, hey, if you want a grant for your cooler, this is, you know, how you can apply. This is what you need to do for this. Um, It's really helpful to have that, you know, farming can be a very solitary activity. um, (laughs) And so it's great to have been able to create a space or to create a space where, where you don't have to feel so alone and there's somebody who may be able to answer your questions, you know, or help you find someone who can. I love that. I so often find myself out in the field with just my own thoughts all day long. And that's actually how I started listening to podcasts is because I was spending hours and hours every day by myself outside harvesting or weeding. And so I started listening to podcasts and I went through all the flower podcasts that are out there and I still listen to all of them, but I still had more time in my day. So I thought there's more people we could be talking to. So I love that you have done something similar and created the Black Flower Farmers Collective. For those that are listening, if this is resonating with someone, how could someone join? Is it open for anyone to join? It is open for anyone to join. You can either um, send me an email and my email address is on our website, blackflowerfarmers.com, or you can send me a message through Instagram, you know, through uh, Facebook Messenger. The group has is across social, um, whatever is easiest. And, you know, we'd be happy to, to talk to you about, about it. Awesome. And I will get all those links from you and include them in the show notes too. So anyone listening can refer to the show notes and check it out. And then the Tidewater Flower Collective, that is just local to your area. Is that correct? Yes, that is local to my area. Yeah. Okay. We have covered a whole range of topics today. Everything from growing on multiple urban plots to the power of working with the community to learning about your collectives, both the Tidewater Flower Collective and the Black Flower Farmers Collective. There's one thing that I mentioned at the beginning that we haven't really touched upon that I had talked to you about offline, and that is that you have a special interest in growing native perennials. Can we touch just very briefly on that? Yeah, um, I do. So when I started my garden at my last home, it was because I'd moved maybe 10 miles, not very far away, but I wasn't seeing some of the birds and insects that I knew I could attract. I knew they were in the area. I knew we were within the range, but I wasn't seeing them. So I created a small pollinator patch to attract. It was goldfinches. So, you know, I grew Rudbeckia and I had sunflower. They like yellow flowers, sunflowers. And I added, you know, some yellow echinacea and that kind of thing because I wanted to, to see these birds. And so once that happened, it kind of spiraled from there. My, my interest in growing native plants, especially living um, in a coastal city, uh, living at the time on a peninsula that sometimes the flooding would be so bad that you could kayak around on the streets of the neighborhood. Um, oh my goodness. I, yeah. So I get to see the effects of climate change up close and personal. And I wanted to do what I could to try to mitigate those effects while also doing my part to help sustain wildlife. Um, And so that's how I ended up learning more about natives, growing native plants, joining the Native Plant Society here and growing them and using them in arrangements and using that as a tool to educate the public about these different things, about sustainability, about the importance of native plants, about the the effects um, that sea level rise is having on our area. We're in one of the the communities that's going to be hit first um, by change because it was Norfolk was built on swamp, as a lot of the surrounding mm-hmm. areas were, and so obviously not not a great idea. 
Um, and so we are seeing those effects faster. We have to put um, measures into place like mitigation. So, you know, learning to grow seagrasses, river oats, etc. Various things that are beautiful in arrangements and bouquets. And also native plants tend to have a longer growing season. They have a longer range. So you have those in September, October, and November when things are slowing down in the garden, natives are just getting started and not only make great flowers, cut flowers, but also providing homes for all um, the creatures around us without whom we would not be able to have the flowers or enjoy flowers. So, yeah. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. For anyone listening who is not yet growing native perennials and is interested in adding them to their garden, do you have any tips for them? I would suggest that they consult their local native plant society or even their local county extension or master Mm. gardeners who often have lots of info on native plants and can probably tell you what would make good cuts. For me, I kind of cross-reference local growing guides with like, um, uh, like Dr. Armitage, like Ellen Armitage's book about cut flower production, et cetera, and various, I've done various things like that, kind of cross-reference and see what is a good cut flower that's a cultivar, are there any related natives, et cetera, and then just experiment too. I mean, you don't have to start with a large space. You can watch things, you know, you can keep things in pots or keep things in the ground for a year and see how they go, make cuts and see how it works for you besides, uh, before deciding to commit. But there are definitely no downsides. That's great advice. I know I wasn't even thinking about it until you mentioned that our local extension office does an annual native plant sale and you can get starts of native plants for very inexpensive. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great way to start. When I was moving our local, uh, the master gardeners actually came over to my house to get (laughs) some natives that I had. Some stuff is very prolific here, like the swamp sunflower and drops lots of seed. And I was like, you guys can take as many as you want. You can take, take them all. There'll still be a ton, but yeah. That's great advice. Thank you. Well, okay. Now we have really covered a ton today. I think our listeners have so much valuable advice and it's been such an honor to have you on the podcast and to get to chat with you. I have just two last questions for you. The first one is, I know you shared with us how people can learn more about the Black Flower Farmers Collective. Can you tell us how can people find you and Mermaid City Flowers? I am across the internet at Mermaid City Flowers, mermaidcityflowers.com, at Mermaid City Flowers on Instagram and Facebook. I'm not on TikTok yet, kind of, but maybe we'll see. Um, But people can find me easily there, get information about everything I have upcoming, including my first workshops in my new studio in February. And I'm really excited to feature all American grown flowers, flowers that I've grown myself or that I'm going to source locally from nearby. I love that. Thank you. And we'll include links to all of that in our show notes today as well. And so my last question for you before we end today Is there anything that you would like to leave our listeners with today? I guess as we touched on a couple of times, why not me? You know, people are to always tell me, especially at market and that kind of thing. Oh, well, you know, I don't have a green thumb. I'm not really good at growing things. And I say, hey, look, my plant graveyard, I probably killed more plants than you're ever going (laughs) to grow. I just call that compost. We have a name for that. (laughs) I love that. Um, Yeah. And so just don't be afraid to get started. I know there can be a large amount of overwhelming information, but all of us, or a large majority of us have experience with, with growing things from being in elementary school and, you know, putting a seed in a paper cup and covering it up with a paper towel, which as we know is gross. It's still a valid, a great method for getting things to grow certain types Absolutely. of seeds. Absolutely. Actually, Don't be afraid to jump in and don't be afraid to find your community and ask questions. You know, asking questions costs you nothing. And there are lots of people who are 
helpers and want to help and want to see other people do well and succeed. So just reach out. That's great advice. Thank you so much, Dee. It has been truly a pleasure chatting with you today. And I feel like I could talk to you for hours more, but I know you have corsages to make today. So maybe maybe instead I could invite you back to come be a guest again in the future on the podcast. We'd love love to have you back. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for joining us today and happy gardening, my friend. Thank you, flower friends, for joining us on another episode of The Backyard Bouquet. I hope you've enjoyed the inspiring stories and valuable gardening insights we've shared today. Whether you're cultivating your own backyard blooms or supporting your local flower farmer, you're contributing to the local flower movement, and we're so happy to have you growing with us. If you'd like to stay connected and continue this blossoming journey with local flowers, don't forget to subscribe to The Backyard Bouquet podcast. I'd be so grateful if you would take a moment to leave us a review of this episode. And finally, please share this episode with your garden friends. Until next time, keep growing, keep blooming, and remember that every bouquet starts right here in the backyard. This is Jennifer Galizia of The Backyard Bouquet, signing off to head back outside to tend to my garden. (laughs) 